Hello and welcome to our Women on a Mission podcast, the online destination for women and men who want to create a life that they truly love, one without limits, one with more balance, more self-belief and endless possibilities for the future. I'm your host, Deborah Craig. I'm an intuitive life mentor and hypnotherapist. And every week I'll bring you guest experts, individuals with lived experience, and of course, I'll share client case studies so that you can experience some of the best ideas and solutions to help you solve real life problems so that you can live a happy and healthy life and of course become the best version of yourself every single day. You see, I've found that to reach our full potential in our careers, relationships, our health goals and in life, we must take a look at what's going on on the inside of ourselves as this is where the change really starts. I hope you enjoy the podcast and remember, leave feedback and comments so that I can continue to bring you content and guests that truly help you become the best version of yourself so that you can live a life that you love. Enjoy the show. Hi everyone and welcome to this week's episode of the Women on a Mission podcast with me, your host, Deborah Craig and have I got a treat for you today. I have an amazing guest that I'll bring on just shortly. His name is Steve Ware and he is to me what I call the mindfulness guy. So he is uh, uh, works with his own business. He introduces uh, mindfulness workshops to corporate organizations. He's a keynote speaker and I am very lucky to have him on here today to share more about mindfulness and what it really means to embrace mindfulness in your life and how you can actually change your life by incorporating it in and making it a daily action. I personally, I use mindfulness throughout my life. It was part of my big transition for myself. So it is a topic really close to my heart. So without further ado, so you're not listening to my voice any longer, Steve, please come on and join us. Hello. Hi, Steve. Thank you so much for uh, joining me today. Genuinely, my audience and whoever from your audience is listening to this will be in for a real treat. Um, it's been a real pleasure getting to know you over this last sort of six, eight, 12 months online and just watching your journey and hearing more about your story. And I think um, it would be really helpful just for the audience to understand a little bit about what actually happened. How did you get into mindfulness, like from mm. being in a corporate industry and having your own business and, you know, how was even mindfulness itself intrinsically linked to you maybe being able to make that transition? Yeah, good question. So the short answer is by accident. Well, I'll expand on that. And I, and I didn't I didn't set out, I never set out to be a mindfulness teacher, Deb. So that's the, that's the kind of weird thing. I didn't I didn't ever wake up one day and think, I want to teach mindfulness because I had such a bad opinion of it um but here's my story so i'll, I'll keep it it's a tiny 10 year story but i'll keep it uh, i'll keep it the abridged version so i joined ibm when i was a kid and after about 20 years of working there i started burning out and the pressure got to me and it hit my sleep first of all i went from being a very good sleeper to a very bad sleeper my anxiety levels were high all the time and i just felt like i couldn't switch off anymore i felt like i was just kind of existing rather than living i guess and it felt very um very black and white 
and and I yearn to feel peaceful again. Just, just I can remember thinking once I'd give anything, I'd pay any amount of money. Not that I'm a rich person, but I was thinking I'd empty my bank account. If somebody could could show me how to feel peaceful again in life, that became my number one aim. It became more important than any car, any house, any material possession because I'd lost a piece that I once had, <clears throat> and that's really what I wanted back. And I remember talking a little bit, a little bit to people at work about it. I'm not, I'm not great at expressing my emotion. I'm not great at um, talking to people, which was, in, in, it was quite a macho world, really, IBM and, and the kind of circles I moved in outside kind of playing sports and stuff. It was all very macho. So but when somebody suggested mindfulness might be able to help me and they just said there's some unbelievable science, this is even 10 years ago, um, I told them where they could put their app and their books and their phones because mm-hmm. on mindfulness, because I just thought it just sounds like BS. It just sounds... Honestly, back then, I didn't know what it was, but it's I, I thought I knew what it was, but I thought it was, I thought people who meditated sat and went to some happy place or sat and completely anesthetized themselves to life or, or sat and their mind just was blank for however long. And I thought, well, that's maybe it's okay, but doesn't, doesn't that just delay all your problems? Like if you've got loads of stuff to do and you just sit and meditate for 10 minutes, well, you still got to do all your stuff, right? So what's, isn't that just another waste of 10 minutes? And I haven't really got 10 minutes or 20 minutes or 30 minutes to wait. So it's funny looking back. I had all these opinions, you know, ranging from that, but all the way up to actually, if I get too good at this, if this is a real thing, um, and I kind of knew I had been around for two and a half thousand years. So, you know, there's this, there's me, this little kind of opinionated western guy saying it's a load of rubbish you don't know what he's talking about so if it was the real deal then i thought well actually it would make me that's not going to help me either because that's going to make me really ambivalent it's going to turn me into this passive blob that just meditates and people say don't give any work to steve because he doesn't do anything anymore he just sits there going on all day so um eventually i did try it and and it was i just downloaded an app called headspace i'm sure a lot of listeners have heard of that and i just tried it for 10 days and and here's the first strange thing there was no huge shift right there wasn't the end of that story isn't i tried headspace for 10 days my life's been unicorns and rainbows ever since i I jump out of bed every morning i've not not lost a wink of sleep since i never get anxious or sad or angry or but what did happen is the tiniest sliver of peace reappeared that was huge just a time and i was a little bit less anxious or a little bit less overwhelmed at work anyway still didn't tell anybody i was super embarrassed about it that i'd even needed to do this i didn't tell anyone but people at work started to notice, people at IBM started to notice, and they said to me, um, what are you doing? You've changed, you're kind of, um, you're more calm, you're more, you're getting less worked up about stuff, you seem a bit less anxious, what are you doing differently? And and I said, when I told them, I said about the mindfulness, they said, can you teach us? And those are the four words that changed my life, because I went from then thinking, this is just something I've discovered that I want to do, um, and I really want to understand it now because it seems like it's something huge to them saying, can you teach us? And when they said that, I thought that's probably the greatest gift I could give them, honestly. Yeah. But I had to politely decline it because I thought if I, I knew even at that point, there was a, there was a, there was a depth to this. Yeah. Mindfulness isn't some dime store relaxation technique it's not some mickey mouse yeah it's not some this that's is the, that's the perception a lot of the time though i think even just what you yeah. were talking about when you said about your first thought was it's just meditation yeah 
And I think that's when people hear mindfulness, it's the first thing they jump to. Like, mm. that's what I used to think as well. Like, it was exclusively just about sitting quiet and meditating. But that's mm. just one part of the whole story, mm. or even about the why in the first place. It doesn't, yeah. meditation just in its own, just thinking about meditating when you don't know a lot about why you're doing it, what your experiences could be. Yeah. It just can almost feel like a bit of a pointless exercise oh, totally. and a waste of 10 minutes that you just totally. don't have when you're yeah, busy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so, um, so they said, you can you teach us? And I, I politely declined at that point just because I wasn't trained to teach, but I did plant a seed that grew and I eventually went off to the University of Oxford to, to, to learn how to teach this stuff in business specifically because it's a very specific application of mindfulness i bought an eight-week program back into ibm it was crazily successful i don't take personal credit from that i just facilitated the courses people did their own work but it was i mean literally i can remember i can remember the first the first three reviews i got in i remember thinking i'm never going to get better reviews in this if i teach this for the rest of my life because the first guy said um i've had pre-hypertension for 10 years high blood pressure for 10 years um he said it's gone back to normal in eight weeks and my doctor can't believe it. Someone else, a lady in HR, um, she said to me, this has been life-changing for me and my family, not just me, but my family. The ripple effect. And I had one other manager who came back from long-term sick ahead of time early um, as a direct result of the course. And she wrote that in, in an email to me. And I thought, holy crap, this is... This is actually, there's something in this yeah so even then i was just running pilots of this course at ibm i wasn't still didn't really want to teach it i was just thought i'd do it you know for for be a nice thing to do um but it, it kind of grew its own legs and ibm ended up with a huge wait list 500 people and and i couldn't fulfill all their demand but i started teaching it ended up being the first and only course that was approved by ibm's um hr in new york um yeah, and IBM and, and University of Oxford partnered as well. So it was a really great thing and something I loved. And looking back on my IBM career, which is a long career, 28 years by this point, um, it was the best thing I ever did by a mile. I got technical achievement awards and all this kind of stuff, but this this really touched people. This really changed people's lives. This really affected their stress levels, reducing them. This really lowered people's blood pressure. And there's, there was nothing better I could give them. So when I've been made me redundant in, 20, in COVID in 2020, I then had the biggest decision of my life. Um, do I do what I want to do, what I love, which is this mindfulness, teaching it properly, to cynics, to people that don't think it's going to work, to people that haven't got time for it, um, or do I get another corporate job? And it was a pretty easy decision, even though it was, took a lot of courage for me because I'm quite risk averse. Thank you betting on yourself is so scary because I've done it myself so I know how it feels to walk away I didn't get made redundant but just listening to your story there like all of the things that you were talking about the sleep issues the quality of your life just been poorer personally for me I felt I was so stressed what I was trying to juggle was um I had I was in corporate full-time. I'd taken on a university degree and mm. I was trying to do full-time university at the same time as a full-time job mm. because it was open university and yeah. because I couldn't handle the fact that it could take me six years. And I was like, no, I was 39 and I started it. And I was like, no, we're going to have to put our foot in the gas, but within reason. Mm. And 
I remember it was a really difficult time, some really hard stuff going on in my family unit. My gran was really sick. Um, and I remember being under so much pressure and I don't know where it came from, right? Because you've got your own story of how it came into your life. I, I wish I knew. I wish I could remember the moment that I had the epiphany, but out of nowhere, I just was, I just knew I had a bit of an inner hippie in me. I always knew she, it was in there. It was just stuck in a corporate world. But I remember thinking to myself, right, first of all, I don't belong here in this world, but you're, but you're doing something about that. You've got starting the degree because you know you're on to something else. But while you're here, so I felt really stuck in the corporate environment because of the financial position, because I'm on my own. There was no other income coming into the house. I'm thinking, I earn quite a lot of money. Like, how? A car and mortgage and all these things. And like, it just doesn't seem, I just can't see my way out of it. Mm. And, I, and I kept thinking, you know, there was always talk of redundancies. And I thought, I wonder, something will just come my way and that would be the saviour. You know how you're always just waiting for someone to put their hand in and save you almost. So time went on and I think it was like the autumn of whatever year it was, it was my second year in uni and I just decided, I was like, I'm going to look for something that's like to do with Buddhism, that, that's how it started for me and I, and I found in Glasgow there was um, like Buddhist teachings but it was really a meditation centre where yeah. they also do talks um, with Buddhist teachings, yeah. so don't know anybody don't know what I'm doing, frazzled out my head, can't decide if we're getting made redundant, grand sick, family problems, uni stresses, you know, working full time. And I just thought, I think I'm going to have a breakdown or something. So the weird thing was, I thought, how am I going to find the time to go to this? It's an hour a week in Glasgow, but don't ask me how I done it. But I never missed it. I was religious because mm. after the first week, I remember showing up, I was running late. I didn't have the cash on me. I hadn't been to the bank. Uh, I was all flustered. And I was like, oh, see, after the third week, I was like a different person because the, the change, even although the long-term change takes longer, once you go consistent and you've been doing the meditation and then doing it away from them as well, mm. I had such a massive shift. So mm. month after month, I think it was about three months, one day I just went, I just woke up one day and I just thought, oh, now I've got the answer. I've been saving up for two years. I've got the same amount of money in the bank as if I was getting made redundant. So I'm actually not trapped. I, I can actually do anything I want. And I honestly, without the word of a lie, I went into work the next day, told my best friend in work and I was like, Next week, I'm handing my notice in. And she was like, oh, my goodness, oh, my goodness. Like, how, where did this come from? And the clarity that I got, and the reason I'm sharing this story is because the point is, when you are all up in your head with stress, anxiety, worry, life pressures, you, you can't think straight. You're not making good decisions. You feel stuck. You can't see your wood, you know, you can't see the wood for the trees. So if you think that you've got problems in your life or difficulties or challenges, how can you find solutions if you're still in the eye of the storm? And for me, being able to embrace this mindfulness with the meditation and all that, that gave me the clarity. So then realized, aha, 
I actually am in a position I can move on now. And, you know, four months later, I was out the door and onto the next part of my life with no job, I might add, but I kind of had an idea of some path that I was going on. But that's how it came into my life. Wow. And that's why I think it was exceptionally powerful. Yeah. I mean, you were braver than me. I would never have, um, if IBM hadn't made me redundant three years ago, I'd probably still be there. Yeah. It's funny that, isn't that? And I'd be saying to people, I'm going to leave. I'm going to set up a mindfulness business. So you wonder, the universe so coming grateful. in there. Yeah. Well, I'm super grateful for that. Well, two things happened. They made me redundant and they didn't give me much money. So, you know, I'll share it. I don't normally share personal finances, but they, they gave me for 28 years service. They gave me just over 12,000 pounds. Whoa. Yeah. So that's a statutory minimum they could have given me by law. <clears throat> so what did that mean? That meant that I had to make a decision quickly and I couldn't, you know, I had no time. If they'd given me hundred grand, I could have spent six months lying on the sofa watching friends. Yeah, well, maybe maybe because my savings were a bit more, maybe that's how I could spend some time watching friends. <laughs> 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 a standing joke between us now. No, that's that's difficult. And for me, having some money behind me, yes, but I also didn't have like I didn't have a, there's no family like there's I don't have children or anything like that. So I knew that in one hand I didn't have anyone else relying on me, which was yeah. which was helpful. But equally, yeah. I had nobody to lean on either. Yeah. So, so it's, it's it's a catch twenty two. Yeah. You either have the responsibilities and then and there's the finances with it. But mm. the, I had no one either at my back where financially if if things had not gone well. And I also wasn't going straight into business. I had two more years of university to do. Wow. So um, what I did was I actually ended up getting a, a part-time job with the NHS 24. And I got a promotion in there, mental health. So to be honest, it was what I was always meant to do. So wow. the, the trajectory just went the way it was meant to. A bit like you, that even although it, it was scary being pushed out the door like that, you know, through the redundancy, just is a bit like well if you're not going to do it yourself and you can't have the you've not got the courage to walk out on this then we're, we're going to do it for you and I don't mean the company I'm talking about some higher being some higher source there um and I felt the same like I don't know why mindfulness came into my life at the moment that it did but it changed my life yeah so I'll always be thankful, but in a weird way, it also changed your life as well, because by doing it so far in advance, not realising that necessarily this was going to happen with the redundancy, without realising that you'd been preparing yeah. for a moment just like that. Absolutely, I've done years of preparing, yeah. So whatever side we're on, me less prepared, you more prepared, either way, mindfulness and probably as well, like, I don't know about you, but being able to call on these specific strategies and the mindset of mindfulness helped me when I was stressed at other times as well. Yeah. I've been able to keep my cool a lot more. I've yeah. been able to be less reactive. Mm. Um, that was one of the things that in the past that I would say, I, I think you can be a lot more judgmental, you know, until you really understand and appreciate it then I think our perspective on life can be a wee bit skewed. Mm. Yep, yeah. same. Yeah, yeah. I, feel, I feel like, oh, sorry, you were going to say something there. 
No, I was going to. I was going to say. I mean, we've both got fairly dramatic stories about how we found mindfulness. Yeah. And most people, I think there's one, I mean, there's one thing in common for everybody I teach. And that is that they've suffered to a point where they want to make a change. Yeah. And it doesn't need to be as dramatic as us necessarily. Maybe it's just that there's their, their life is zooming past at a million miles an hour and the, the years are going by and the decades are going by. Or, you know, they're, they're just a bit more anxious than they were. They used to be a better sleep or they just can't switch their mind off when they get in from work or whatever it is. But... I always think for you to try this stuff, most, pretty much everybody actually I've met who, who really wants to come on a course and change their life, suffering is the motivator. Yeah. You've had enough of feeling rubbish. You've had enough of not sleeping well. You've had enough of just existing, not living. And you think, you know, I'm going to try something else. And that gives you just enough motivation to try it, hopefully for long enough, if you find a good teacher. Mm-hmm. Because you're probably going to have a bit of a wobble. You're probably going to start it with a ton of, you know, some people you see, they start it with a ton of enthusiasm and they read the science and it's so, I mean, the science is amazing. So you can read that and think, oh my God, this is the best thing since sliced bread. You do it for two, three weeks and go, well, I'm not sleeping like a baby yet. Maybe I feel a tiny bit better, but I was hoping for bigger than this. Yeah. <laughs> you forget that you've you got a commitment to go. Yeah, if you keep going. But that's the, that's the thing for me. The analogy I've started using is, the who's the guy? Was it Morgan Spurlock? Was it the guy? Remember the guy who did the um, Super Size Me? He ate McDonald's like every day for... Oh, yeah. Oh, I don't know the guy's name, but I remember that, yeah. Yeah, so if anybody hasn't seen it, so this guy was quite a while ago now, wasn't it? But his his documentary was, I'm going to eat McDonald's every day for like 30 days, yeah. 60 days, whatever it was. And I'm gonna they're going to measure my bloods and they're going to measure my health, basically. <clears throat> and I talked about this the other day when I was teaching because I said... If you if and when you try mindfulness, it will be very common for your mind to come in afterwards and say, that didn't do anything. I sat and practiced that or I did it when I was on the go or I, I was really present when I was in the shower or brushing my teeth or in traffic or whatever. And your mind will come in and go, but your inbox is still just as big. Are you really going to sleep any better? Did it solve the client's problem? No. Did it get that punish, that project finished any quicker? No. So your mind comes in with all these objections as to why it's a total waste of time, not going to help. But what your mind doesn't realize is that the power is in the cumulative effect. Yeah. So we're back to the guy. If this guy eats one McDonald's and he goes to the doctor the next day, the doctor says your bloods are fine. But if he eats it every day, morning, noon, and night for 30 days, then he says your enzyme results okay. and your liver don't look good, your cholesterol's high, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. And that's that's the biggest mistake businesses make when it comes to mindfulness. They think they think that people get fit by listening to talks on fitness yeah and they don't no but nobody gets i can think of one guy in the last 10 years who was so ready to do this that he listened to a keynote i did at ibm and he went away and he bought a book and he practiced for eight weeks and he came but he sent me an email i didn't even know who he was but he sent me a random email from this guy eight weeks later didn't even know he was in the audience never met him and he said this has changed my life it's huge i'm drinking less i'm listening to my wife more my blood pressure is better but all these kind of rant and i thought wow to, to go from that one keynote to that is huge, very rare. Most people need, so the biggest mistake most people, most businesses make is they think that by getting a keynote speaker to come in and talk about mindfulness, they then tick that mindfulness yeah, box. We've well, done this great thing. Yeah. And if you mean, if it worked that way. <laughs> be- I, I don't know. I can't tell you how experienced I would be in many things. 
if that was yeah. the case, because yeah. I've watched a heck of a lot of one-off motivational <laughs> speeches, yeah. webinars, mm. conferences, and went, wow, walked away and returned to my old life. Exactly. So, but and uh, and that that's even someone like me who's quite driven and yeah. focused on change. Oh, yeah. But you know, I, I think um, there was a, a post actually about something uh, something else today, and it was talking about mentors and coaches and different things, and about how. You know, it is great that you can go and watch keynote speakers, you can go and watch a lot of gurus, you can read a lot online, but you're right, that guy is the minority that will take away what you've done in that call and then implement it. Yeah. What people need, whether it's on a corporate level or on a personal level, is actually someone to take them on the journey, yeah. someone that can help keep them accountable, compassionately, yeah. but keep them accountable. Yeah. And especially when they get to that three or four week hump where they're thinking, is this, is this really, is this really working for me? And yeah. I don't think it's exclusive to mindfulness because I could work with lots of clients and, you know, they'll, they'll feel great, you know, a shift in that first few sessions. But at the same token, the profound, the breakthrough moment, they've not had the big moment and they're still almost waiting for that. Yeah. And then all of a sudden, maybe around about the fourth or the fifth session, it's like, wow, now I'm starting to get. But that's only because they're doing the work. They've found the rhythm with what we're doing and they're actually seeing traction mm -hmm. rather than expecting this big, massive change right up at the front Absolutely. end. And if you look at most peer reviewed scientific studies on this, you know, the double blind studies are really good ones. They're all around about there. They ask people to meditate because a really common question is, all right, well, how long do I need to do it for then? And the standard answer to that, probably scientifically speaking, if we're talking about measuring things physiologically, heart rate variability, functional MRI scans, all this kind of stuff, rather than just anecdotal, mm -hmm. um, they would probably want you to do 10 minutes practice a day for eight weeks. Yeah. So it's about 1% of your day. It's not a lot. I mean, if you think you think how much time most people mindlessly scroll through social media. Absolutely. Multiple 10-minute blocks a day, probably. Yeah. Or they watch something on TV. They're not really that interested. They watch the program before and then they carry on watching something. Or they just sit daydreaming for 10 minutes. Or they take ages to get to sleep. I always used to think that, you know, mindfulness helps me sleep better. Yeah. That's worth a fortune. And that's worth... You know, if I sit, even if I sit and do a 45 minute body scan before bed, that means I'm going to take five minutes to fall asleep rather than three hours. Yes. No brainer. Of course, you know, it's giving me, it has to give you back more than you, more than you invest. And when it does that, you know, people, it just becomes part of the thing people do, like part of all the good things we do, like brushing our teeth and hopefully eating healthily and not drinking too much booze and exercising. And if it can become that rather than a kind of onerous separate chore, yeah, I think that's the key. Yeah. I, I think I've read, I, I don't know how many times I've seen posts about this, you've probably seen them yourself, saying if you don't have time to meditate, you're the one that needs to meditate the most. Yeah. Because <laughs> if you're saying that I don't have time for that, yeah. you're the one that really does need to create that capacity for 10, 15 minutes. And even if they just start, like there's so many good meditations online now like you can access so much good stuff on uh, on like youtube and stuff like that mm -hmm. like even if you're a novice there's a lot of really good ones even just for five minutes let's mm -hmm. just get started you know mm -hmm. just just get started with something to get you into the way of it um what would be do you have any sort of good 
tips like do you think like for example say there's a, a an impact um, or a benefit or a, or a disadvantage even of using guided meditations versus just working in silence like is there any major impact on that I would say when you're starting out use a guided one for the main reason, most people in most people in this world, and I include myself in this, there's pretty much an incessant stream of thinking happening. Yeah. Right? There's a non-stop, pretty much non-stop monologue, dialogue, chat. You're perceiving things, you're labeling things, whatever it is, right? And if people don't think that's true, I mean, I I would always ask people to discover is it true for themselves? Right? Don't believe a word I tell you in this podcast. So is it true when you're walking around the supermarket doing your shopping? Just look, just, just try and go from looking through your mind to at your mind just for a second while you're pushing the trolley around and what are you doing? How much thinking are you doing? How much thinking are you doing when you're in your shower? Are you already in your first meeting at work? How much thinking are you doing when you're brushing your teeth? Are you holding your phone and scrolling through something? When you're having your breakfast, are you checking your mail? Are you multitasking when you go out walking the dog? Are you just lost in daydreams? Maybe they're pleasant ones, but... Compare that to moments in your life where you're very present. For example, anyone who likes likes anyone who likes expensive food or drink. So if if you're a foodie and you and you go to a great restaurant and you've paid a lot of money and then they bring a beautiful wine or whiskey or whatever you drink, most people will be pretty present there naturally. Yeah. So they'll instinctively know without saying it and without verbalizing it. They'll know that if they're lost in thought during that experience, if they spend that whole time, that whole meal thinking about their problems consciously or unconsciously or daydreaming or drifting, they're not really going to taste the food and they've paid a lot of money for it. So they kind of come into the present moment. You know, people's whiskey drink is a beautiful glass and there's the glug of the whiskey and there's the smell and there's the history and there's the taste. And so they're very, very present in their senses. That's mindfulness. Mindfulness is when you take attention away from thinking and come into your senses pretty much i mean senses is probably the, the first entry point into being more present being more mindful so we'll do it naturally. It's a brilliant analogy though about the food and the drink because you're so right like if you spent a lot of money in something you're really going to hone in and yeah. soak up every minute of it whereas if we're going about our day-to-day business we can do a lot of that quite mindlessly Absolutely. you know it's like oh i'm doing the dishes but at the same time i'm looking to see what's on my phone or the yeah. tv's on in the background or you're shouting at somebody to say do this or do that there's not one single thing that you're giving your attention to um so yeah having that ability to just come into the present zone in on that one thing that you're doing in that moment is a brilliant way of explaining what mindfulness really is for those that are wondering if it's just about meditation because yeah well it's it's interesting because people ask me a lot what how would you define mindfulness and probably the industry standard definition for mindfulness is from a guy called john kabat-zinn and it's, I've not memorized it deliberately, but it's something about paying attention in the present moment, non-judgmentally. There might be a bit after that. And One that, more sentence in it, because I know it, but I can't think of right. it off the top of my head, but right. yes. But what the hell does that mean, Debs? I know. I've experienced it. It's a very clever, it's a brilliant definition. I love John Cabot's and I've got all the time in the world for him. I think he's amazing. But if you don't know what mindfulness is, by experience, if you've not experienced it directly, and you hear those words, I don't think you can, I don't think it translates. So here's my definition of mindfulness. I, when people say to me, how would you define mindfulness? I wouldn't give them a definition. I'd say to them, and people listening can do this right now. I'd say, think of one moment in your life, whether it was this morning or 50 years ago, or however old you are, 
one moment in your life where you either felt deeply peaceful just for a second you know sometimes you just get that moment in life and you just kind of breathe out and just go oh, it's almost like you make that sound life's good wow okay weight of the world lifts just for half a second maybe and then you go back or maybe you really notice something beautiful in nature something a beautiful sunrise sunset uh, i don't want to give people too many examples because i want them to think of them themselves but either they felt deeply peaceful and they were calm and still lying on a sunbed whatever maybe they were deeply peaceful and doing something intensely alive maybe they were racing a bike maybe they were climbing a mountain maybe they were skiing in that kind of what athletes will call a flow state or maybe they were just in awe of the beauty of something and this is what mindfulness is if you zoom all the way in what's really beautiful about all those experiences well if you zoom all the way in and you and you go so far zoomed in that you pick up just that nanosecond of peace where i don't know let's just pick a random example where you're on the beach on holiday and just for three seconds you just suddenly you could feel the sun you could hear the sound of the waves the sand underneath that warm that beautiful smell of sun cream holiday you're by the pool maybe there's children playing there's nice sounds and just for two seconds you just kind of go wow this is how it's meant to be <laughs> yeah but in that moment if you look at that if you zoom all the way into that and it could be skiing it could be in all the beauty of something it could be whatever if you zoom in what you notice is that that the moments in life where you feel truly peaceful moments in life where you feel intensely alive but peaceful moments in life where you really notice the stillness of the night sky or the beauty of the sunset your mind temporarily stops so there's a gap we just said a couple of minutes ago most people there's an incessant stream of thought when there's a gap in that stream of thought peace can come up yeah. you can notice beauty you can feel feel still you can truly notice the spacious night sky in all its beauty if you're still inside, you'll notice stillness outside. To be still inside, your mind needs to be calm. If I go out in the garden tonight, even if it's a beautiful night sky, if I'm thinking about all my problems, my finances, my health, my business, I'm not really going to notice how beautiful the night sky is. So when people realize that, I say, okay, so, the, so actually the best moments of your life are moments of mindfulness. Yeah. Because you and really notice them. You're so present. You're yeah. right there in them. And who wouldn't want more of them? Who wouldn't who wouldn't want to have some of them during a busy work day? Who wouldn't want some of them when you're just having a normal meal in your house? Who wouldn't want to try and feel that same feeling when you're eating your cornflakes or when you're in the shower or when you're stuck at a red light in traffic? And this is this is where the magic happens. If you can show people you can be mindful in your everyday life, not by doing different things, but by doing things differently. Yes. Then the lit, you lit the touch paper then because then. They know what they're getting. They always think, yeah, it's the, mo the holiday moments. It's the moments with the kids. It's the moments with the dog. It's the moments with when I'm skiing, whatever. Okay, if you can give me them in an average working week, I'm up for it. Yeah. Show me how. Um, makes me think of spending time with my nieces, but with specifically without my phone. Yeah. Leaving my troubles at my front door, mm -hmm. going down and seeing them, being very open and saying, right, I'm here to play. And I always love it when they'll say, you here to play just games with us and I'm like yeah today and I'm like uh-huh so just pick out all the games that you want because I'm right here and even if it's only for two hours it will be more than if I was there for 10 hours distracted yes because I won't remember half of what's going on whereas when it's that funneled time with them yes. I remember all the laughs all the little jokes and, and they were right up there and present yes. 
So yeah, it totally resonates with me. Or oh, it's been so good. You could talk about this all day though, couldn't you? Because there's so many things to share. But unfortunately, we've came to the end and uh, I, I don't want to keep you on too much longer. I would love for you to share with the audience. I know that you don't specifically work with people like say on a one-to-one basis, particularly mm-hmm. now, but my audience, there are a lot of corporates in my own audience, people that work for bigger organizations, there's some HR people and things like that. How would people reach out to you if they were interested in bringing like a corporate program into their organization? Yeah, so I'm very active on LinkedIn, as we talked about earlier. So you find me there if you just type Steve Ware Mindfulness, obviously one L in mindfulness. Um, you'll find me on LinkedIn or my website, which again is stevewaremindfulness.com. Simple as that. Simple. As simple like as that. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, listen, simple. thank you so much for uh, coming on today. I think just through the storytelling today, We've covered so many aspects of helping people understand the power of mindfulness. But if people want to know any more, then you can absolutely uh, get in touch with myself as well. All my deets as well as Steve's will be in the description. So I'll see you all next week, folks. Same time, same place. And uh, thanks very much, Steve. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Thank you for tuning in to this week's episode. I hope you enjoyed it. And I hope you've taken away something valuable even a golden nugget that will help you move forward with your life so that you can become the best version of yourself and really have that life that you love. So I will see you back here every Tuesday. A new episode will be released, same time, same place. And if you want to sign up so that you're notified when these new episodes are live for you to listen to, then all the details will be in the description. So thanks again, and I hope you enjoyed the show. And I'll see you again next week. Bye-bye.